Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. Um, now, if you'll take your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 32, uh, that's where we're going to be. We're going to start at the end of that, but that's where we're going to start. We're in this series called Prayers for Exodus. Every week, we're journeying through the book of Exodus, um, and we're trying to find ways to pray for ourselves and for one another. Each week, we have this prayer focus. This week, our prayer focus is that we would value God supremely. And so every week, we're, we've got this prayer focus that's focused in on God's character because there is a connection between what we know about God and what we will ask of him. Uh, and so we want to pray prayers that are worthy of his character and how he is and who he is and what he's shown himself to be in his word. So we want to know God rightly so that we'll pray more fervently. That's kind of what we want in this series. Again, our prayer focus today is that we would value God supremely, and that picks us up at the end of Exodus 32, where God's people are not valuing God supremely. In fact, they've just finished uh, making this idol, this statue, uh, and say so they took the gifts of God, the gold that they got as they left Egypt, um, that was meant to be used for the glory of God. God had given them things that that gold was supposed to be used for. And they fashioned this false God out of it. And not only do they fashion this false God, they call this statue Yahweh. They call this statue the God of the Bible and begin worshiping him uh, the, uh, worshiping this thing as him. And so they've, they've broken like three of the Ten Commandments already here in chapter 32, but more importantly, they've broken a relationship with God. Like they've, they've been unfaithful. And so Moses then goes to God to plead for God's mercy. That's where we pick up today. And Moses is presented with a really interesting choice in this moment. God tells Moses, you can have everything I've promised, blessings, the promised land, safety from all your enemies. I'll give you everything I said I was going to give you, but I'm not going with you. So you'll, you'll get all of my gifts, but you don't get me. And that's the choice Moses has to make. God tells Moses, I'll give you protection. I'll give you provision. I'll fulfill my promises, but you don't get my presence. What do you say? That's the choice that's going to be given to Moses today. Now, you and I don't get the same choice, but what we do get today is a chance to look at our hearts. We get a chance to look at what's going on in our hearts today around this question of what do we value supremely. John Piper said it this way. He said, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness, all the friends you ever had on earth, all the food you ever liked, all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? He goes on to talk about things in this life. He says, if God gave you a, a great marriage and well-behaved kids and all the money you could ever want and all the fame and accomplishment and success you could ever dream of, but you didn't get Christ, would you be happy? Our answer to that question reveals what we value supremely. Do we value God 
or do we value God's gifts? Do we value God, or is God a means to things we really want? That's the, 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 the chance we have today to kind of examine our own hearts. And, and my hope is that we would see what's going on in our hearts, but more importantly, that we would see what's going on in God's Word uh, so that we can respond to Him. And so I'm going to read a portion of the scriptures that we're going to cover today, and then I'm going to pray, and we'll jump into God's Word. Look at verse 30 of chapter 32. It says, The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they had made the calf, the one that Aaron had made. And the Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you've brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring I will give it. I'll send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one was put, no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you, God, for uh, that you show us uh, things about you in your word. Uh, Lord, today we're also going to need to see some things about ourselves, and we're going to need to look at our hearts and, and what we value. And Lord, that could be scary. Uh, it could be convicting. Um, it could be difficult. And so, Lord, we would ask that you, um, that you be kind to us to show us uh, wonderful things in your word, be kind to us to show us places in our hearts that need to be seen. Uh, be kind to us to uh, give us ears to hear. Uh, and Lord, would you give us hearts that are open to and receptive to and obedient to your word today? Uh, would you make that true? For your glory and for our good, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so first we see Moses before God. That's our first point this morning. We see Moses before God here in chapter 32, verses 30 to 33. Uh, it says, the next day Moses said to the people, you've sinned a great sin. Moses confronts the people and tells them, you've sinned against God and not just sin, you've sinned a great sin. And Moses says, now I'm gonna go up to the Lord. Maybe I can make atonement for your sin. And so Moses goes to God and, God and says to God, verse 31, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They've made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, Moses is pleading for God to forgive them. But if not, please blot me out of your book that you've written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And so Moses goes to God. He, he asks for God's mercy. He says, the people have sinned. 
He's asking God to forgive the people. That does happen in chapter 33. We'll get there in a moment. But what we see also in this chapter is in, in this passage is that there are going to be consequences for their action. So often, I think today, we want uh, forgiveness without consequences. We want to live in a world where we can do things that have consequences, ask forgiveness for them, and God not only forgive us, but remove all the consequences, but that's not the world we live in. Sometimes we do things that have long-term consequences in our lives. Um, sometimes in relationships, we sin against one another, and even when forgiveness is extended, trust has been so damaged that it's hard to be rebuilt. And even if it is being rebuilt, every time the one offended extends trust, they also have to extend forgiveness. And so there are consequences for our actions. We see that here. Um, one of them in verse 34, God indicates that he's not going to go with them. Then in verse 35, there's this plague on the people because of what they've done. But Moses goes before God to ask for mercy. And then God tells them of his judgment. We see God's judgment in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 33. We see God's judgment. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you. Now, so far, that doesn't exactly sound like judgment, does it? I, I mean, the first part of that is, hey, is, hey I'm going to give you everything that I said. I'm going to give you uh, protection. I'm going to send an angel before you. Uh, I'm going to take out all these people so that they don't bother you. I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, that sounds like pretty good stuff there until he says in verse 3, but I will not go up among you. That's God's judgment. I'm going to give you everything I promised, but you don't get my presence. I'm going to give you all my gifts, but you don't get me. And I wonder, I wonder how many of us would hear that as God's judgment. How many of us would hear, you're going to get everything you wanted, but you don't get me as judgment. But that's how the people hear it. And we see the people repent in verses 4 through 6. Look at how the people respond. Okay, look at verse 4. It says, When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. Now, what was this disastrous word? The disastrous word was, you're going to get everything I promised, but you don't get my presence. That was a disastrous word for the people. And this disastrous word caused them to mourn and it says no one put on his ornaments. And the reason for that is because God told them to take off their ornaments. We see that in verse 5 and 6. And so what we see here is the people repent. And there's two things that are going on in their repentance. The first one is an emotional response to their sin. They mourn. They feel badly for what they've done. They feel a sense of guilt and shame for what they've done. Now, this is a, a proper response to our sin. 
Now, it's not the kind of guilt and shame that kind of hangs on and kind of hovers over the rest of our life. It's a guilt and shame for what they have done. They mourn. There is an emotional response to what they've done as part of repentance. The second part of repentance is a renewed obedience to God. So repentance is not simply an emotional response. Oh man, I feel bad about that. Repentance also involves a renewed obedience to God and his word. That's what we see in verse four. They mourned and no one put on his ornaments. And the reason, verse five and six, is because God told them not to put them on. And so that's repentance there. And so when we are faced with the reality that we've sinned and fall short of the glory of God, those are kind of two things that need to take place. There needs to be an awareness of our sin that causes us to mourn, and there needs to be an active renewing of obedience to God and his word. And if you don't have those two things, you question whether repentance is there. Repentance involves emotional response to our sin and a renewed obedience to God. Well, this leads to Moses' plea before God. Now, we're going to come back to verses 7 through 11 because that's this biographical kind of moment that's inserted into the, into the action of the story, okay? Um, and we're going to come back to that because there's some important stuff there. But let's go to, to verse 12 where we see Moses' plea and Moses is pouring out his heart to God. Look at verse 12. It says, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people but you've not let me know who you'll send with me, yet you've said, I know you by name, and you've also found favor in my sight. Here's, here's what Moses is saying to God. God, you've told me what to do. You've told me that you know my name. You've told me I've found favor, but, but I don't know who's going with me. He's saying, you've, you've told me what to do, but I've still got questions. He's, he's bringing his honest concern, his insecurity, his worries. He's bringing those to God in prayer here. And then look at verse 13. It says, Now, therefore, if I've found favor in your sight, show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. I want us to see a couple things about verse 13. First, Moses wants to know God. Okay, you see that there in the middle. It says, Please show me now your ways that I may know you. He doesn't say, show me now your ways so that I can get this done. Show me now your ways so I can do it right. Show me now your ways so I can feel better. No, show me now your ways that I may know you. Moses wants to know God here. And then notice Moses' prayer is rooted and grounded in grace. Moses is not coming to God saying, hey, I've earned this. He's saying, verse 13, if I found favor in your sight, that word favor is the Old Testament word that corresponds to grace. If I found grace in your sight, show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Moses is saying, look, that my only hope in this prayer is your grace and favor. And so Moses makes this plea before God. And then he says at the end, consider too, this nation's your people. These are your people, he says. And then God responds to Moses in verse 14. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. That's the answer to Moses' prayer. God, God, we, we want you to go with us. Don't, don't send us up if you don't go with us. God says, 
I'm going to go and I'll give you rest. And then Moses prays perhaps the most honoring prayer in all the Bible. Verse 15. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Moses says to God, if you're not going to go with us, don't send us up. In other words, if you're not coming, we don't want the promised land. We don't want the protection. We don't want any of this if you're not going to be with us. And then he says in verse 16, for how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight? I and your people, is, is it not? And you're going with us so that we're distinct. I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. Moses is saying, God, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. If you don't go with us, we don't want to go because we don't just want your gifts. God, I want you. I want you. And so what we see here in Moses is this, this man, not a perfect man, but a transformed man. He's not the guy in Exodus 3 who's trying to get out of a job. He's not the guy in Exodus 6 who's worried and thinks God got it wrong. Here, he's, he's saying to God, God, I want you. And if I don't get you, I don't want anything. I don't want any of your gifts. I want you, God. And if you don't go up with us, if your presence doesn't go with us, then we don't want the promised land. We want you. And so Moses is valuing God supremely. He's a transformed man here. He's valuing the God of the Bible. And so what about us today? Do we value the God of the Bible? Do we value God or his gifts? Do we value God because he can help us in our marriage? Do we value God because he can help us with our kids? Do we value God because he can help us with our business and our success? Do we value God because of something he gives us? Or do we value him because he's valuable? If we value God for what he can give us, we're really valuing what he gives us, not him. And if we're valuing him for this, we're saying to him, you're not as worthy as this thing is. Moses said, I don't want this if I don't get you. I want you. So what about us? Do we value God supremely? Now, if your answer to that is no, like if you're honest enough to say, nope, I don't. I value money, success, power, control. I value those things, and I'm running after them with everything I have. And I'm betting my life that if I get enough of that, I'll be okay. And if that's you, man, I want, to, I want you to know I'm glad you're here. And I want you to know this, that if you get all those things, at best, it satisfies you for this life. Now the, now, the reality is if you get those things, it's like a dog that's been chasing cars. What does he do when he catches the tire? You know, like it, it's just going to wear you out because all the stuff that won't satisfy you will never start no matter how much of it you get. But even if it did satisfy you for the rest of your life, it does nothing for eternity. And even if you get all the stuff you hope for, it never covers over all the stuff you've done wrong. 
And so if you're valuing those things, you're running after something that has no hope, no real hope for today, certainly no hope for eternity, and no hope for your past to cover all the things you've done. But, but the God you've rejected in all that, the God you've said, I don't want you, I want all this, the God you've rejected loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to live, die, and rise again so that you could trust him. And he takes care of the things you've done wrong. He forgives them. He, he grants you life and hope and peace today, and he grants you hope for eternity when we value him. And Jesus died so that people who had rebelled against God could be redeemed and could trust him. And if you would say to me, nope, I don't value God at all. I'm running after all these things. I would tell you, repent and return to Jesus who died for your sin. Trust him today. Because all those things you're chasing, whether you're in middle school or midlife, all those things you're chasing, they will not satisfy you. And they certainly won't sustain you for eternity. Now, many of us, we've trusted Christ. We know him. And so when we ask the question, do you value God supremely? We're like, well, I think so. How do I know? I'm glad you asked. Three ways. First, when we value God supremely, we intentionally pursue him. When we value God supremely, we intentionally pursue him. Now listen, we intentionally pursue everything we value, okay? If you value vacation, you pursue that. If you value food, you pursue that. If you value organization, you pursue that. We intentionally pursue everything we value. So if we value God, we're gonna intentionally pursue him. And we see that in the life of Moses in that little verses seven to 11 there in the middle of chapter 33. Look at that with me. It says, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses till he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses." And when the, all the people saw the pillar of clouds standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Now this is this little biographical moment that's thrust into the action of chapter 33. It's this little, um, this, this important uh, bit about Moses and his life up to this point. And I want us to see three things here that help us see how Moses intentionally pursues God here in these verses. The first one is, it was regular. There was regularity to Moses' interaction with God. We see that in verse 7. It says, now Moses used to take the tent. It doesn't say Moses took the tent one time. Moses used to take the tent. There was a regularity to his time with God. More than once, repetitive action. There was also intention to it in verse seven. It says, he used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. So he went outside the camp, far away. In other words, he was getting away from people. 
So not only was there regularity, there was intention and in that he, he got away from people so he could get time with God. And then in verse nine, we see a humility in his time with the Lord. It says, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And so long before Moses spoke to the Lord, the Lord spoke to Moses. Um, and so Moses had a humility to listen, a humility to receive. And so how do we know we value God supremely? We intentionally pursue him. That's what Moses did. Moses intentionally pursued time with the Lord. And so some important questions we need to ask. Is there, regular, is there regularity to our time with God? Are we creating space? Are we creating time? We will not find it. We'll have to create it. Second, is there intentionality to your time with God? Are you turning things off? Are you silencing notifications? Man, there's so many good things I love about Bible apps on my phone. The problem with all of them is that they're on my phone. And everything else is on my phone yelling at me all the time. Sometimes we need to put all that away so that we can really meet with God. I can't remember the woman's name, but she was a, a, a faithful woman in church history. And I can't remember it because I didn't look it up and I just thought about it. It's not because I don't like women, okay? So, um, but this lady, she had a lot of kids and, and her time to meet with the Lord, she would put her Bible on the table and it was kind of back in the day where there was just one room in the house, a lot of kids kind of running around. She would take her apron and put it over her head on the table and this is when she was meeting with God. And her kids knew, if you bother me when I meet with God, you'll get the wrath of God. Okay, you know, like she was just trying to be intentional with meeting with God. So when we value God supremely, we're going to intentionally pursue him. We do that with everything else. We would certainly do it with what is most supremely valuable. Second, when we value God supremely, we'll want more of him. We will want more of him. Look at verse 17. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. So God is saying to Moses, I'm gonna answer your prayer, okay? I'm gonna go with you. That was his first answered prayer. The second answered prayer is, I'm gonna show you my ways so that you can know me. I'm gonna do that. Moses asked a third time in verse 18. Moses said, show me your glory. So God's already answered two prayers. Moses is saying, but I want to know more. I want you more. I want more of you, God. Show me your glory. Do you see, do you see how much Moses wants to know God in this moment? Because God is supremely valuable. Moses wants more of him. Which leads to this amazing experience where God tells Moses in verse 19, I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you. And I'm going to proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And so God tells Moses, I'm going to, I'm going to show you more of myself. I'm going to show you uh, my goodness. I'm going to proclaim my name. Can you imagine what that would sound like? God saying his name and character. And this happens down in chapter 34, verse 5. It says, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord. The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, 
but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses says, I want to see your glory. God says, here it is. I'm going to tell you my name. Moses says, I want more of you. God says, here I am. Here's my character. And what we see is that when we value God supremely, we want more of him. Like we want more. We want to know him. We want to see his glory. We want to know his character. And then Moses responds when God shares his name in verse 8. It says, Moses bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Moses, in, in response to God's goodness and glory and name, Moses bows in worship. And then he says in verse 9, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. He's asking, he says, look, if I've gotten grace at all, would you go with us? For we're a stiff-necked people <laughs> and pardon our iniquity and sin and take us for your inheritance. In other words, Moses says, look, if I've gotten grace, keep your promise, God, because we're messed up. We're stiff-necked. We got a lot of, we're, we are a messed up bunch of folks, but we're yours. And so what we see is that when we value God supremely, we're going to want more of him. We don't, we don't deserve any of him. But when we value him supremely because of Jesus, we want more of him. And then the last thing, if you value God supremely, you want God more than his gifts. Doesn't mean you don't want his gifts. Like they didn't say, hey, no, we'll just stay here at the mountain. We'll, we'll just stay with you. We don't need the promised land. We'll just stay here. They didn't say that. They wanted to go there too. It's okay to value God's gifts as long as we don't value them in replace of God. So often, so often, we use God as a means to what we really want. We treat God like we treat the person handing us our food in the drive through lane. We just get what we came to get, and it's not him. It's what he's given. We use God to get to heaven so we won't go to hell. or And maybe that's what, so we won't go to hell. We use God to have a better life. We use God to have a better marriage. We use God to have a better kids. We have, you see what we're doing there. This becomes what we really want instead of wanting him. And so when we value God supremely, we want God more than his gifts. His gifts are there. When we, when we, when we follow God, we certainly have hope of eternal life. When we follow God, we certainly get the grace to, to work and, and do what he's called us to do in the world. When we follow God, we, we certainly get the grace we need for our marriage and family. When we follow God, we certainly get all of these things that we hope for. But God is most valuable, not these things. And so what, what do you value supremely? What do you value supremely? This has happened more than once in my life, but shortly before we planted Exodus, I was in a, a gathering where we were singing, and we began to sing uh, a song. And it's a very old song. Um, it's a good one, though. And the song is, I'd Rather Have Jesus. 
The first verse of it is, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. Now, that verse is beautiful and glorious and good, but that's not something that really hits me because that's not something I really want. Like I, I mean, I, I, I won't refuse money, but like that's not something I'm running after. It's just not. Like That's not something I love and want more of. But the next verse says, I'd rather have Jesus than worldly applause. And I remember this moment when we started singing because I was kind of, you know how you kind of sort of pay attention to songs you're singing and then all of a sudden one hits you and you're like, oh no, <laughs> you know? And I start, I'm singing, I'd rather have, I'm not going to sing right now, okay? <laughs> but I was singing, I'd rather have Jesus than worldly applause. And God kind of started, hey, kind of tapping on my heart. Is that true? Is that true? I'd rather, have, I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. Is that true? I'd rather be faithful. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Like, is that true, Brian? Is that true? And I remember that moment just sitting there in the midst of this song, and I just remember weeping for how it was indeed not true. And, and I, I remember asking God, God, would you please, would you please free me from the need for people's applause? Would you free me from this vain hope that my name would be remembered? And would you give me a passion for yours to be remembered? I was not valuing God supremely in that moment. And I needed him to kind of tap on my heart and say, is that true? I wonder, do you need God to kind of tap on your heart and say, is that true today? Do you value God more than his gifts? Or is God a means to get to his gifts? Do you value God supremely today? And if at the end of those three questions, do we pursue with regularity? Do we want more of him? Do we value him more than his gifts? At the end of that, if you're like, man, no, I don't value him supremely then I have good news. The God that we don't value supremely loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to die so that we could be brought back to him, so that we can run to him and have hope and life and forgiveness and peace and repentance so that we would value him. And my hope is that we'd value him together. Let's pray together. Father God, you know our hearts. You know every heart in this room, every heart listening to this, and you know what we value. So Lord, would you work in our hearts today for your glory? Would you grant repentance where it's needed? Would you, would you grant clarity of mind and heart where it's needed? Would you help us see um, ways we need to change and be changed by your word? Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.